beautiful people. It's your host with the most. With a quick heads up that, um, and I, I, I hope not to do this in the future, but this episode was actually edited uh, for content. Uh, and I, I, I haven't done it yet, but I will likely say something similar at the beginning of episode nine, which hopefully you've already heard by now. But um, there was something that came up both in episode nine and in this one that I thought, um, as I thought about um, just for the sake of the privacy of somebody else I was talking about, uh, I figured shouldn't be uh, public. So um, I deleted it. And um, I will I will be re-recording episode nine and... Um, and just cut those bits out of this episode because there was a lot of other stuff in here that I really liked. And, um, you know, I, I wanted you to hear, so you'll hear the the chime or whatever you want to call it when, when the edit happens. And so there's going to be a shift in, in conversation there, but you're smart. You can move forward. And, um, it's a little shorter this week, but it's free. So can't really complain. And, um, I think you'll find a lot of other stuff here that you will enjoy. So, uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy episode 11 of the podcast. Ahoy! It's your boy, and welcome to episode 11 of the podcast. This is M, uh, which you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, anywhere you get good podcasts, you can find this one, and uh, share it with a friend. You know, if you hear this episode and like it, send it to one person in your life you know would really enjoy it. Uh, let's see if we can't grow this thing a little bit. And, uh, if you want to connect with me online, you can find my socials at this is M X O X O. Um, yeah, I w- actually, I wanted to start off by thanking people. Um, uh, I don't know. I, on the last episode I talked about, I was having this sort of confidence crisis, which is, you know, really kind of a dramatic way to put it, but maybe I should have said a, a confidence hiccup based on some feedback I had gotten from somebody recently about the podcast. And um, it's kind of funny how you get things when you need them. But uh, I got, from a number of people, I got some really positive messages about how they enjoy the podcast. And them saying, what they what they really like about it is it's just kind of like they're hanging out with me. Which is like exactly what I'm going for. And, um, I'm, you know, it's not for everybody. But, you know, or I think I was saying on another episode that my brother referred me to this podcast the thing about pam um it's one of those true crime podcasts where the uh, you know the host is like the thing about pam this guy with this really cartoonish voice and as well produced as it was and it was it was interesting i listened to all of them it it was it was not the kind of thing that you can sort of give yourself over to you know i'm not eagerly anticipating another um you know episodic true crime podcast which I know, dude, people fucking love those things right now. My favorite podcasts are the ones where it, it does feel like you're just hanging out with the host. Um, and um, it's, it's like having a new, new friend or something like that. And uh, it, it, it's less about, you know, it being, I don't know, fully engaging all the time as much as you just like this person and you like spending time with them. And it's something to sort of play in the background or, I, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, it, but it, it basically, it's the kind of thing where I feel like I'm just hanging out with the host and, um, maybe not necessarily having a conversation, but it's, you know, it's not that it's not that they're pontificating at me as much as I just sort of get to stew in their, in their vibe. And so, um, it was happy that, uh, from a number of you, um, that's exactly what you're getting out of it and that's what you're enjoying about it. So thanks for doing that. Um, 
Also, I got a really interesting comment on one of the videos, which I didn't realize was the case, but somebody left a comment. I'm paraphrasing here, but they said, why the anarchist pacifist flag for the image on the video? For when you, when you, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, you know, I don't know how permanent these things are going to be, but basically right now the cover for the podcast is a black and white um, square that's sort of cut in half, half white, half black. And um, similarly for the YouTube videos, when I post the audio up on YouTube, I just sort of have a similar, a similar thing. But because it's YouTube, it's a rectangle. And yeah, it looks like a flag, I guess. But somebody left a comment. They're like, why, do you, why is this the anarch? Why do you use the anarchist pacifist flag or whatever? And I had no, I had no idea that's what it was. I love the idea, though. Um, for me, uh, it's actually a, I mean, it's a yin yang, <laughs> you know, it's sort of where it comes from for me. Um, my aesthetic has always been black and white for the most part. Uh, it just, I don't know why. I mean, I did it years before I was even interested in Chinese philosophy. Uh, it was just intuitive to me. It one, it was simple. Um, there's just less design components, uh, than with color. Also at minimalism is just, I I I mean I think minimalism is timeless really. It's always I don't know styles always return to minimalism, but minimalism was kind of like the thing at the time when I first sort of like started with that palette. Um but yeah, for me it's it and it, and the fact that I've I've sort of recommitted to it uh, again in my life or or what keeps reinforcing it for me, especially in the last few years has been my interest in Chinese philosophy. So for me, it's sort of a, a, a yin yang sort of thing, but it's interesting. I, I, I didn't know that this, and, and, and the colors were, and, you know, it was white on top of black too, which is interesting, but yeah, it's, it's apparently it's also the anarchist slash pacifist flag is a black and white, uh, bisected rank rectangle. So that's cool. I didn't know that. Um, but sumptuous. So, yeah, I'm not really sure what to say about it, except, um, you know, your boy's sitting with some feelings today. And um, on the one hand, I'm, I'm, and I'm enthused to be here and talking. And, and yet, on the other hand, it's, I don't know, I'm contending with something today as well. And even as I'm saying that, I think, is this the kind of shit that people want to hear? Like, shouldn't I just like uh, do this when I'm, dude, it's sort of like yawning. I, I think, dude, should I seriously, like, would the content be better if I just edited it out, edited it out or just let it sit, dude, just let it go. Uh, dude, I really don't know. <clears throat> I don't pretend to know. I don't pretend to understand. I'm just uh, feeling my way forward in the dark here. And <clears throat> we're learning together, folks. And look, I never said we're going to win any awards, man. You know, dude, maybe I'm not the Leo Leo Tolstoy of uh, podcasts. Dude, maybe I'm just the Dean Koontz. (laughs) Do you guys know who Dean Koontz is? Dude, so like Stephen King is like having a huge renaissance, obviously. And uh, I loved Stephen King growing up. And I I don't know. I feel like a fucking broken record. I'm, I'm, I'm certain I talked about Misery on another podcast. Um, The first Stephen King book I read. But yeah, I loved Stephen King growing up. Dean Koontz was always like right next to him on the on the on, on in the horror section, and he was like more of a pulpy horror. Did he write horror or was it like science fictiony sort of stuff? I don't know. I don't know. It was sort of this mix between like Michael Crichton and um, and Stephen King. But he was always like, I mean, I think Stephen King, although he is a popular writer, I think he gets a little. Um, exonerated you know i think people hold him in higher regard than most 
uh, writers of his ilk. But uh, Dean Koontz is totally like, um, you know, you buy his books at the grocery store and stuff. But yeah, dude, maybe I'm not the maybe I'm not the Henry David Thoreau or the uh, or, or the Dostoevsky of fucking podcasts, dude. Maybe I'm just the fucking Dean Koontz of podcasts. You know, it's like, dude, I'm like a pepperoni pizza of podcasts. Is it great for you? No. But does it fill you up when you need a fix? Sure does. Is it calories? You bet. Is it fuel for your system? Uh Uh-huh. Can it keep you going? Got you. Dude, I got you. Hey, if you need to get through some homework or you're on a walk or dude, if you're on a flight, dude, I got you. Dude, pretty soon I'm going to have 100 episodes to just get you through whatever the fuck you need to get through. And I'm not pretending it's going to change your life. I'm not pretending I know what I'm doing. I'm not pretending I know what I'm talking about. Dude, am I, dude this is what's embarrassing to say. Dude, am I aspiring to high art? Uh-huh. Am I trying to do good work? You bet. Could I be failing? Possibly. But, uh, but again, dude, for me, it's doing it. It's just doing it. And dude, again, I go back to this point. If you don't like it, if it should be a different way, then you do it. Let's hear your podcast, (laughs) you know? Go ahead and make your own, man. Do I want you? Yes. Do I need you? Nope. Like I said, man. It's so, dude, it's, it's so easy to say this and, uh, I would actually be devastated if it happened, but if I lost everybody, dude, I'd still do this. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's a good impulse or a bad impulse, but, um, yeah, dude, I don't know. On the one hand, I do care so much what people think about me, but it's never really influenced my behavior. Does that make sense? It's not that I don't care what people think about me. I care a whole fucking lot what people care about or what people think about me. I care. I don't want to say I don't. I don't know how much other people care. I almost want to say it's. I, I worry that I care more than other people, but it doesn't influence my behavior that much. <laughs> what do you call that? You know. It's not that I'm super confident, although I think I have some confidence. I think I've developed a fair amount of confidence uh, in my. I don't know, in the latter part of my life. But I, I think that's common for people over 30. You kind of figure out who you are. You're more comfortable in your own skin. You care less what people think. So maybe it's not an accomplishment as much as sort of an, an inevitability. But um, but uh, yeah, dude, I care a lot what people think about me. And yet it's never really influenced my behavior. Um. And yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm sort of surprised, actually. I, 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 to me, it's so transparent that when I look, um, I don't know, look at me painting everyone with a broad brush. But when I look at it, other people, I see so many people who are just part of the herd. You know, I, I hear them speak. They espouse their opinions on social media. And to me, they're just part of the pack. You know, it, 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 you know they, they, really, they literally just parrot the fucking same shit at each other all the time. And that passes for, I don't even know what you want to call it, a personality. You know, I mean, I talk about this with people with internet speak, you know, or, or whether it's people talking about politics or social issues. I mean, people are literally just parroting sh- the sh- shit back at each other. I mean, everyone calls it an echo chamber and yada, yada, yada. You know what I'm talking about. You're, you're out there. You see what's going on. Even if you're a part of it, dude, you know, <laughs> even if you're doing it, dude, you know what's going on. But what kills me is like people, they want to skewer you or like 
they they're like upset that you're not taking part in it but it's like dude it's like dude it's like being in a religion you know i've talked about spending time with the mormons like they walk around the church and all they do is say to each other hey the church is true the church is true and everyone's walking around pretending like um like they believe that they're the best religious person and it's not just mormons dude it's everybody Dude, it's like when people leave Scientology. They're like, dude, I knew it was fucking bullshit, but I was just part of the fucking cult, man. And my whole insecurity was that I just wasn't Scientologist enough. I was just trying to be a fucking good Scientologist like everybody else. And everybody else seemed to believe it, so I was like, what's wrong with me that I don't believe it? I just need to work harder. That's what I feel like that's genuinely what most people do in their lives. <laughs> they try to get in with the herd. And, dude, by the way, oh my God. You know what? You, oh, Dude! First of all, I'm going to start off by saying you're welcome because I'm about to recommend a movie to you that you're going to fucking love. Um, have you seen the movie Force Majeure? Um, it's by a Swedish... I, I, God, I think he's Swedish. Uh, I think it's Ruben Ostland. Ostland. Ruben Ostland or some shit like that. But Force Majeure is a movie that came out a few years ago. And I remember when I saw this film, it fucking blew my mind. And this is not the movie I'm recommending. I am recommending it to you, but we're going to get to another film that this person did recently. But Force Majeure is a fucking phenomenal movie. And, you know, there's so many filmmakers or artists who try to be contemporary and talk about today's issues, but there's no art behind it. They're really just doing what I'm talking about, which is they're basically making a film that sort of puts some sort of um, ideological idea about contemporary society out there and the whole thread of the movie is oh you believe this don't you you know or this is what you believe this affirms your values um like i not that it's not not that it's a bad movie but like 12 years a slave like the whole point of the movie is like slavery is awful isn't it or this is shitty and yeah we still we still have some of these behaviors today isn't that shitty it may be true but it's not art (laughs) you know what i mean it's not um it's not art, but you watch a movie like Force Majeure and you go, oh, now this is a compelling film about masculinity and about um, toxic masculinity. It's a phenomenal film. And, the, and in the first 15 minutes, it's about, it's about a family that goes on a ski vacation. And within the first 15 minutes of the film, it's a, a father, a wife, and their two children. And they're sitting outside of the ski lodge or whatever, and there's an avalanche. And they're concerned, and all of a sudden it goes out of, you know, in the film you see that they've had these um, controlled avalanches, but this one is like out of control and it it looks like it's going to plow into the ski lodge. So everybody panics and runs. The dad grabs his cell phone and runs away from this family. And then the dust settles. Everyone's okay. It was really not a catastrophe. It just looked worse. And the rest of the movie is just contending, is just the tension of this incident where in a moment of crisis, the dad abandoned his family and the tension of the wife, everyone knowing that this happened, but the husband's inability to admit that this is what took place and all the uncomfortable conversations. And it, it's just, it, it's, it's when you know, when you talk about it, it's hard to describe it as compelling film, but it is phenomenal. And, um, and it, that movie more than any other film that I can think of touches on, you know, when people think they're talking about the drama of male mask of, of, of toxic masculinity and how it impacts culture, dude, this is one that really gets at the heart of it. And it's not, you know, it's not like a, um, I don't know. I'm trying to stay away from buzzwords and stuff like that, but you know, it's not like a feminist film. 
it's just literally talking about, dude, this is shitty. These are the shitty things that guys do to prop up their own sense of self. And when you challenge that, this is how they respond. This is how they dig in their heels. And just watching this dad unable to admit that he wasn't there for his family. It's just, it's a phenomenal film. But as fucking phenomenal as that movie is, the filmmaker, his most recent film probably came out in like 2016 or 17. It's called The Square. And you can find it on Hulu, actually. Both these movies are on Hulu. And um, I, I'm not going to tell you what The Square is about. I really want you to see it for yourself. But it takes place in a, in a um, museum. And it's about, uh, I, don't, I don't know, is he a museum curator or a director? I don't fucking know. But it's about this guy who's like a higher up at an art museum. And it's both comedic, but it's also incredibly poignant. And I think that movie, more than any other, is a very, it's a great portrait about where we're at as society. And, um, and in a way, I kind of look at it as like a, manifest, a manifesto of the filmmaker himself. Because I think on the one hand, he is skewering what people treat as serious art, which is really fraudulent. Which is, by the way, when you go to a modern, um, modern art museum, it's a bunch of bullshit. And it's a bunch of arty-farty people walking around pretending like people are saying shit when it's just garbage. It's like piles of sand on the floor, or it's like, a, it's a fucking urinal, you know? And somebody's pretending it's some grand statement about, you know, it's, all, it's always space. This piece explores space, interior and exterior spaces, and what happens when we recontextualize? Well, shut the fuck up. Yada, 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 yada. Nonsense, nonsense, nonsense. Um... And so it's kind of funny because this, the, the moment in the film that really, are t- there's this like performance artist, or he's, I don't know what you call him, but he's like a modern artist. And you think it's going to be the dumbest thing in the world where he walks into this um, banquet that they're having, the opening of some art installation. And this person does this thing that starts off super pretentious. You think it's going to be fucking garbage. And there's like, you know, there's a voiceover that says, you're about to encounter a wild animal. And uh, the artist basically comes in and pretends to be a gorilla. And you think, oh, God, this is exactly what somebody would fucking have in a modern art museum. And it very quickly becomes the most poignant moment in the film. And you realize, oh, this artist is actually saying more than is more truthful than anybody else in this fucking movie. And he's calling through this performance that I'm not going to tell you anything else about. He really shows what is fucking wrong with our society, that everybody's trying to be a part of the herd. And everybody tells themselves that they're virtuous and everybody tells themselves that they're doing well when really they're perpetuating or facilitating a lot of the crimes that continue in society that go unobserved. Wow, dude, your boy is so angry today. So much venom. And of course, you know, because I'm a white dude, people go like, oh, well, you know, fuck this guy. Like you sound like some sort of incel. (laughs) <laughs> when, you, when when a white dude says anything uh, uh, critical about society, you just sound like a fucking insult to people. But um, but really and truly, I, I think um, you know it's so rare these days that you sit down and watch a filmmaker and go, "Oh fuck, dude, this is a real film." The other one is I don't know the filmmaker's name, but the the creator of Tangerine and the Florida Project are are two other movies by a filmmaker that when you see it, you go, "Oh shit, here's a real filmmaker." And in the same way, really makes you know, not a statement that is going to resonate with your political perspective or whatever, or whatever about modern society, but makes a real statement about the state of the world. Um, Florida project was their most recent movie. And it's about uh, a young girl living in, um, a hotel, uh, that people live in 
you know, people who don't have apartments, but they stay in these hotels and it's a bunch of families and they just pay exorbitant amounts and, but they don't have to sign a lease or whatever the fuck. So yeah, it's just, you know, people living on top of each other in this hotel and, um, her mother who's chaotic and, um, you know, is a sex worker and alcoholic and, you know, just not raising her daughter right. And you compare that with a movie like Moonlight, which is not a good movie that people loved. Um, but it's not a good movie. It's, it's like exactly what you would expect, which is like, oh, this poor black kid living in the inner city who's gay and, oh, there's no place for him in society and he's repressed and, dude, okay, fine. And his mother's like a cartoon character. She's like a crack addict. And of course there's scenes where, you know, she's yelling and screaming saying, you're not going to be anything and you don't mean shit and all sorts of shit. And you're just like, dude, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Okay. I get it. This is a, this is a horrible person, blah, 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 blah. But it has nothing to do with reality. Meanwhile, you watch the Florida project and it really makes you understand that, you know, nobody's a cartoon character. This is just the way the world is, you know? The mother is portrayed in in the Florida Project is both a victim, but she's also a perpetrator. She is unable to take care of her daughter and her daughter suffers for it. Is she a bad person? No, she's not a cartoon character. In some ways, she's trying the best that she can. It's just not good enough, unfortunately. And it kind of shows how people are just well-intentioned, but how can you really help people? You know, Willem Dafoe, is, and, and the filmmaker does such a great job of, of toying with your expectations of characters as well. Because if it was a Hollywood movie, Willem Dafoe plays a sort of um, fatherly character. You know, he sort of has deputized himself. I mean, he's, 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 he's both frustrated with the people who live at his hotel, but he also has sort of deputized himself to sort of take care of them and advocate for them to the extent that he can, which is often not much. But um, he, he's just, he's treated as like a genuine character. And if it was a Hollywood movie, I, the movie does, has this great scene where it sort of plays with your expectations, which is you're sort of expecting Willem Dafoe to, to, to disappoint you at some point. And just as I was thinking like, hmm, I wonder if there's going to be a scene where Willem Dafoe is actually like kind of like sexually inappropriate with a young girl in this movie or something like that. There's a great moment where it does show someone who is uh, a pedophile, ostensibly sort of encroach on this world that these children inhabit and Willem Dafoe defends them. And I, and I genuinely believe it was a, a smart move on the, on the filmmaker's part to sort of toy with your expectations. Like I know where you think this movie is going. I know what, th- I know, I know what type of movie this could be. And this is not going to be that. And there's no moralizing. And it also happens in Tangerine, which is, you know, this movie was made um, a few years before that, and it was shot on an iPhone. And, you know, the main protagonists are these, um, you know, either trans or or cross-dressing prostitutes in Los Angeles. And it's basically one day in their life where uh, it just shows what their day is like. And there's like pimps, and there's, uh, there's a taxi driver who like solicits women for sex, and it's a, it's a, dude, it's a hilarious movie. And if it was made in Hollywood, the whole, the whole thrust of the movie would be, wow, look how awful this is. And, um, you know, the, uh, you know, one of the sex workers would be like an, an aspiring, I don't know, fucking poet or some shit who, uh, would be successful if they only had a, had a, if there's only a place in the world for them, if only they had a fair shake, but society's unfair and blah, blah, blah. Dude, there's none of that in this movie. It's just a character study. It's just saying, Hey, these are these people's lives. 
um, yeah, life is difficult for them. And part of it's society. And um, not that it's their fault, but part of it is they don't have the capacity to change. And a lot of that's because they were victimized. But they're sort of self-defeating as well. And it's just a non-moralizing, non-judgmental picture of what life is actually like. And uh, yeah, a far, far, a far cry from what you get in Moonlight, which to me was is like a, the perfect example of movies that people enjoy and pretend make pr- pr- profound statements about the state of the world, but they're not. They're just parroting people's opinions back at them and making them feel good about themselves. <clears throat> I mean, if Moonlight was like an actually accurate movie, like it wouldn't be about this guy who was just rep- repressed sexually and was just thinking about a single hand job he had when he was a kid for 25 years while he was celibate. It would be about a guy, it would, dude, it would be more like in Brokeback Mountain where Jake Gyllenhaal talks about going to Mexico for male prostitutes. I mean, the, anta- the, the, the protagonist of Moonlight is an attractive is an attractive man who would have no trouble finding sex, especially if he's been incarcerated. There's no doubt he would have had sex with other men. But instead, he's, this, he's portrayed as a sort of castrated character who's repressed sexually and is unable to, I don't know, be an out gay man when, you know, the, the truth is his life would be much more complicated. And he would have had way more sexual experiences than with that one person when he was a child. He would have no, I mean, I'm not saying he wouldn't be conflicted about it. I'm not saying it wouldn't be tumultuous, but dude, he, there, there were other, <laughs> there were other closeted gay men around him when he was growing up too. He would have had other sexual experiences with, he would have, he would have probably had sexual experiences with straight men. I mean, how many gay men do you know? How many gay men, do you know, tell you that like they had sexual encounters with people who just live as straight men. <clears throat> so please come on. But again, what do I know? You know, as a white dude, you say these things, people just think you're an incel. Oy, oy, oy. Anyway, where, where do we go from here? Because, dude, even as I say those things, of course, now there's something sitting in the air, which is like, you know, I'm not supposed to say that stuff. I'm just supposed to smile and nod and go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And pretend like those movies are actually teaching me something. Anyway, dude, we're pushing through, man. We're getting it done, dude. We're not letting uncomfortable topics or other people fucking stop us, man. We're pushing through. You know, you know what we're putting up, dude? We're putting up episode 11. Dude, we're cracking double digits, dude. Dude, it's like, dude, it is. Dude, it is so like running, dude. We're cracking double digit miles on this fucking podcast, dude. And yeah, dude, it's going to be rough. What did you think, man? Yeah, you had a good, you had some good momentum. But dude, now it's time to fucking grow, dude. It's time to break the muscle down. This is where you get your fucking strength, dude. And that's what we're doing. We're pushing through. And dude, bless you for being here. Because dude, we have some tourists. Dude, no doubt. No doubt people coming and checking out the first episode or two. And then ducking. Dude, we don't want them. (sighs) Dude, we're building a fucking... What are we fucking building here, dude? We're building... um, Dude, I don't know. We're building a fucking team, dude. And dude, if you didn't come to play, don't need you. Once you, don't need you. You can come and watch practice, dude, no doubt. Dude, I remember when I was a kid, my dad took me to a scrimmage game, and I didn't know what the fuck was going on. 
<laughs> like a scrimmage game. It was like, I think it was like when we were living in Cincinnati, it was like the Cincinnati Bengals versus the Cincinnati Bengals. It was like an off season scrimmage game. And I was like, why do people pay to see this? But dude, if you, if you don't want to be a fan of this podcast, if you just want to come by and check it out, dude, if you just want to lick your finger and stick it in my sugar bowl and fucking taste what we're cooking, you can do that. You can come watch scrimmage while the rest of us fucking get down and get our hands dirty. You can do that. But make no mistake, dude, when it's time to open the book, (laughs) when it's time to hand out the fucking jerseys, dude, you're not getting one. Dude, you're not getting a number. There's no place on the bench for all of you. Want ya? Dude, we definitely want second. We want B string. We want C string. Do... We want junior varsity players for sure, dude. And I'm, I'm not saying you have to go home. Dude, we want you. We need people cheering in the stands also. <laughs> but dude, this is... Dude, are you varsity level, dude? Are you ready for... Var- dude, even... And dude, I'm not saying you have to be varsity level today. I mean, hell, Michael Jordan... What's his whole story? He What would he famously say? Dude, he was cut from his varsity team or something. Like, he didn't make his varsity basketball team in high school. But that's when he grew. And dude, some of you got to take a good long look in the mirror and grow. You're asking to be a part of this fucking team. And I'm like, you know what? A for effort. I like your gumption. Is that the word? Or I like your moxie. But I just don't think, I think there's some things you have to work on. You can come out and try out next season. Want you. Don't need you though. So dude, who's on the varsity team, dude? Dude, sign-ups are today. Dude, if you want to join this varsity team, let me know. And I'm the captain. That's just the way it's got to be. I mean, maybe I'll recuse myself after a certain point, but right now I'm the team. I'm the captain of the fucking varsity team. Dude, I'm like Vanderbeek. What's this? Jason Vanderbeek from Varsity Blues? Is that his name, Jason Vanderbeek? Dude, isn't it funny how these dudes, like, there's, like, I'm thinking, like, Mark Paul Gosler from Saved by the Bell. There's just all these guys who sort of, like, you know what? I was actually thinking about this. I was thinking about film celebrities, and I was thinking about it, like, high school, which is, you know, every eight years or so, it's just a completely new batch of celebrities. And it's like, you jump out of the box, you jump on the scene, you do your first big movies, and you're kind of like the fucking big deal, right? Like you're getting invited to all the award shows. You're fucking hanging out with the right people. You're probably finding yourself at parties and shit. And you're like the new person. You're like the incoming freshman class of celebrities. And you're stoked to be hanging out with the seniors and going, oh, man, so-and-so invited me to the prom or whatever the fuck, you know, because some, some bigger celebrity invited you to the fucking Academy Awards with them or whatever. But then you kind of have your time and everyone's kind of acclimates to you and the offers maybe aren't coming in as much or you're starting to get typecast or whatever it is. And also, how do you feel when you see other celebrities starting to come up? You know what I'm saying? Like, you you know that you were on the cover of fucking Tiger Beat for like, you were the fucking JTT. Do you guys know who that is? Just, is Jonathan Taylor Thomas? Like, that dude was the shit when I was growing up. That dude was on the cover of Teen Beat and Tiger Beat or whatever the fuck those magazines were. And dude, God bless him. He's probably smart now. He's probably just making money doing real estate or something like that because he knows he he knows what he knows what a, what a quality life is now. He's probably done a lot of growing up. But dude, it's got to be hard when you're on the cover of fucking Team B and Tiger Beat or whatever the fuck those magazines are, and all of a sudden Justin Bieber hits, dude. And all of a sudden there's another fucking fresh faced young dude who's like all the girls are clamoring for, and you go, oh, dude, that's my replacement. But I was thinking it's like high school. 
you know, maybe it's, you know, dude, actually for most people, it's probably less than four years, but let's say it's at least four years. You know, you do a major film, you got four years of a career, whatever the fuck it is. Athletes are the same way, man. It's a revolving door. You know what I'm saying? You're at the top of your game and as you age out, you know, there's just younger people coming up and they're always better than you. Because they're building on your legacy or your generation's legacy. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, where was it going with all this? Yeah, I don't know. Celebrities like high school. I don't know. It's a revolving door. People in and out. <clears throat> Who knows, man? Who knows what the fuck we're talking about? All I know is we got fucking like 25 minutes left of this fucking thing. Actually, maybe less. How much time do we have left? 15 minutes? That's not too bad. We can do it. I'm not saying it's going to be smooth sailing, but dude, I'm telling you, we're putting up episode 11. Because you don't stop, dude. I, dude, stopping is the easy thing. It's sort of, I mean, I don't know. I always go back to fucking running because why the fuck not? But dude, it's like working out. It's like you never regret having done it. You know, even if it sucks, it's like when you stay home, you know, when you're home and you got to go to the gym and you're like, dude, the hardest part is just packing your bag and getting in the car and going. Once you're actually up on a treadmill, you've never regretted it. Even if it's difficult, you're glad you did it. That's what fucking episode 11 is going to be. Even if it fucking kills me, dude, we're getting through episode 11. I don't know why this popped into my head, but um, uh, I have a coworker of mine who had, um, God, I never felt so old in my life, but um, they had brought like this video game system to work. And it was like one of those handheld ones. And I was like, what is that? And she was like, a Nintendo Switch. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, what are you playing? And she's like, Hollow Knight. And dude, your boy does not play video games. But there's maybe half a dozen games in my life that I played and loved. And one of them is Hollow Knight. And dude, I chipped away at the game. I probably have like 100 hours on that fucking game over like six months. <clears throat> but that was like one of the few games in the last few years that I stumbled on. And I think it was after playing The Witness, which, dude, don't even fucking get me started on that goddamn game, which is the fucking shit. But um, Hollow Knight is, like, this really cool game. But, uh, yeah, it was just, it was cool to me that a coworker of mine was playing that, where I was like, oh, shit. And watching someone at the beginning of something that you had, like, put a lot of fucking time into. Yeah, dude. It's actually weird for me, because it's like, I mean, look, everyone has distractions. I mean, everybody has things that they do that they think, eh, I should, probably shouldn't do it. And dude, it's actually weird for me that video games have ever been a fucking thing for me because I, I, I'm not a gamer. But every once in a while, like, I find a game that just fucking gets me. And I go, oh, dude, this is like some real shit. And it's actually when I go, oh, shit, man, like, video games can be high art. Like, oh, shit, there are people doing really kind of cool stuff with video games. It's not all, like, Halo or... Call it duty. <laughs> he said duty. But, um, you know, it's not just all brainless shit. Like, um, I know, I know I talked about my buddy, uh, Rich Vreeland, who actually does the music for this podcast. And, uh, he does video game music or has done a lot of video game music. And when I asked him, you know, for, um, for, uh, some recommendations for games that he thought the average person could check out and enjoy, you know, dude, he fucking, he fucking hit a home run. He was like, you should check out Limbo, which I did. It's a great game. And, uh, was, oh, Fez, he had done the music for that, which, um, I actually enjoy that game less. I, I like the music, obviously. We use it for the podcast, but, um, I enjoy the actual gameplay, uh, less, if that makes sense. I don't enjoy the, I don't, I'm not sure I enjoy playing the game as much as I enjoy the music. <laughs> but, uh, he also recommended Braid. 
and braid is this game by this dude jonathan blow um i think he actually lives here in the bay area but um his most recent game is called the witness and dude that game to me is so fucking profoundly deep it's unbelievable amount of puzzles like actually i find all the games that i really enjoy are actually puzzle games <clears throat> I don't know if it's because I can like trick myself that even though I'm playing a game, I'm like doing something quasi intellectual. You know, it's not just like a, like a shoot 'em up sort of thing. But um, the witness to me is one of the most profound games, of course, games, but also like just things I've experienced in a long time. And I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but there's the game that you play, and it takes a shit ton of time, and it's a lot of puzzles, and it's super frustrating, and I can't imagine getting through it without cheating somewhat or like looking up one or two of the puzzles on YouTube or something like that because it's phenomenally fucking difficult. But it's a free world game. You can walk around. There's nothing that really needs to be done before you do anything else. Um, You can literally just, if something bothers you, just walk to a different part of the world and just do something else. And, um, but the f- the profound part of the game is there's one aspect of the game that if you find it and you observe it you realize that actually there's a whole world under this game and i don't mean physically although maybe i do but there's a whole other aspect of the gameplay that if you stumble on it it's never it's never expressed to you it's never there's nothing that directs you to it but if you find it for yourself as you're exploring the game it's actually much deeper than the superficial game Let's say, and I don't know what the ratio would be, but let's say the game takes you 40 hours to beat. If you figure out that there's actually something else going on, the game could take a fucking 120 hours to play. And I love that so much energy went into this game. And dude, most people who play it won't even fucking see the, like, the whole thing. It's like a fucking iceberg. Most people are just going to play this and see the tip of it and go, meh. Dude, they don't even know what's under there. And I thought, this is the most profound statement about life itself that i can fucking imagine which is potentially around you all the time dude have you seen the movie labyrinth do you know that scene in the beginning where jennifer connelly's like running down the labyrinth and as she's running there's like that little worm that famous scene was like hello and she's like did you just say hello and he said no i said hello but that's close enough dude there's this great scene where she's like running and she's frustrated because she's like Oh, I hate this labyrinth. Everywhere I go, there's no turns, there's no doors, there's no nothing. And he goes, oh, sure there is. It's just you're not looking right. And she's like, what? And he goes, well, right in front of you. And she looks and she's like, oh, it's just a flat wall. He's like, look closer, you'll see. And as she goes up to the wall, they do this kind of cool effect. It's done in camera where it looks like a flat wall to you. But just as you think she's about to touch the wall, she can keep walking. And she realizes, oh, it is a turn. And then she can like turn left and she sort of disappears behind a wall. Dude, that's like what the witness is like, which is if you're just going through life, if you're just going through this game with fucking like, like don't when they, when they put horses on the street, like in New York city too, they'll put like those blinders on them. So they're not distracted by anything to the left or the right of them. You're just going to go straight. You're just going to see in front of you. But dude, there are things, there's potentially things around you all the time that have the power to change the course of your life completely if you're just open or receptive to them. 
and it could be the most profound, meaningful change ever. It can it can change the, not just the trajectory of your life, but it, it can change the way you see the world altogether. And dude, we're going to talk about that a little bit in episode 13. I already know we're going to talk about um, one of those experiences for me on episode 13. It's sort of a numerological thing. That's why I want to do it <laughs> on episode 13. But um, I, I really think the witness, um, um, I mean, more than just saying that, you know, in a way, it's sort of like what I enjoyed about the movies of Force Majeure in the Square. It sort of just presents itself. And it's like, you either understand this or you don't. Or, you know, this is something that resonates with you or it doesn't. It's not like, oh, you need to feel this way. It's just a statement. And the art, the work itself is sort of a reinforcement of its own creative statement, whatever, whatever. But that's also very clear with The Witness, which is, you may miss this altogether, and it's not making a big deal of itself, but the heart of the game is, is, is it's left for you to discover or not. And uh, I thought, that's creative courage right there. Because when you, when you actually look at what goes into a game, and I don't even pretend to fucking know what goes into a game, but the creator of The Witness, Jonathan Blow, has a YouTube channel where he has these like hour-long, two-hour-long live streams of him just like debugging aspects of this actually interesting game that he's working on currently. I think it's like Sokoban inspired. I forget what it's called, but it's like a warehouse and it's an old Japanese warehouse game where like you move boxes around. So it's that sort of mechanic, which is inspiring his, his newest game. I can't wait to play it, but it's, it's also a puzzle game. But when you see what goes into game design and just like, how much time you can spend like editing like light sources and fucking shit like that and rendering and all that sort of stuff and just how much code needs to get written to make a game it's fucking unbelievable and to think about the time and financial investment in an aspect that people not even just the like a minority aspect not just like you know like you watch a movie and oh there's cool hidden things if you go back and like rewatch it or um you know, in certain games. Oh yeah, there's little side missions or whatever that you can fucking find if you look for them. Dude, no. The majority of the game could be completely missed by most people who play it. And uh, you just think about the time and financial and creative and energy investment and something like that and you think, dude, this is a real fucking artist, man. Here's someone who's creating something because they have something to say. And yeah, they'd like to make money and they needed a return on their investment or whatever. But ultimately, dude, this person's fucking making art. Dude, I respect that so much. And I don't know. I mean, it's easy for me to say, right? I'm just, maybe I just blowing smoke up my own ass. But I think I have pretty good fucking taste. And I got to think, like, for someone who's not a gamer, there's got to be something meaningful going on for it to, for it to catch me. You know? Because most games I don't like. So if I'm starting to play a game like The Witness and I go, oh man, this is really intriguing me. Dude, I promise you there's fucking something there. And it has something in common with the movies I like. It has something in common with the music I like. Um, And so yeah, dude, if you ever wanted to find an excuse to play a video game and fucking deal with some real art, play The Witness. You're going to lose potentially like weeks and months of your life to it. But um, it's just a beautiful game incredibly challenging but beautiful hell even if you just like march through most of the game by like finding solutions to the puzzles online just just experiencing that world is just is beautiful it actually kind of hurts like sometimes i see something that's so good and it could be a game it dude it's this movie the square for sure is is like this but i see something that's so great creatively it's it's discouraging 
you know, I, I would, I would say this sometimes when like I would see someone play an open mic or I would meet some new music, see a new musician perform and maybe I had the chance to talk to him or whatever, but I always, I would would often describe people as like devastatingly great. Like sometimes people are so good. You want to give up, you know, some people see someone talented in it and it encourages them. They go, Oh, I'm invigorated. I want to go home and do this. But dude, sometimes you see people who are so good, you go, fuck, I need to stop because there's no way I can do anything remotely close to what this person's doing. And even though it has nothing to do with my own discipline, you see a game like The Witness or a movie like The Square and you think, fuck, dude, these people are tapped in. Dude, these people catch the spirit. You know, I think anyone who does a creative endeavor seriously, like, dude, there's times where you feel the spirit. You feel like you have your finger on the pulse of something special. You feel like you're finally saying something. You're finally creating the type of work that you've always heard in your head and have been struggling to create. But dude, you see something like The Square or you play a game like The Witness and you think, holy shit, this person fucking has it. Dude, it's like when you hear... Dude, whether or not you like the music, when you just experience the persona, especially of early Dylan, you go, oh, fuck, this guy was, ha- this guy was in touch with the fucking spirit. Like you, dude, I always talk about, like, you are in the presence of art. And dude, when you go to modern art museums, you know it's fraudulent. You know it's bullshit. You know this person has nothing to say. You know they're trading on your sense of confusion or, or fucking whatever. You know what I'm saying? It's all performative you know when you're in the presence of actual art. It's like, I remember when I was studying, or, you know, languishing at a junior college studying music for a while, I remember this person was telling me that they thought the film composers were like the Beethovens and the Brahms of our generation. And they do, that's fucking bullshit. Of course, there's a bunch of film composers who are, you know, making music that sounds like classical music. But dude, most of them are just ripping off the, 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 the old artists. You know, they're even taking like direct themes from like a Brahms symphony or a Beethoven symphony and just fucking using it in their own shit. And dude, none of that music has changed in the last fucking hundred years. They're just recycling the same shit over and over again. And it's just not important. But dude, when you're in the, like, but, 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 but. You hear someone like Arvo Pear, and you go, oh, dude, I am in the presence of art. And you hear truth. You know it's not bullshit. Yeah, he's a modern composer, but you know, oh, this person has something to say. Here is a, here is a person who's creating this medium who has a fucking voice. And dude, modern art is this way. Most of it's garbage. But every once in a while. Every once in a while. And sometimes from where you least expect it. Fucking hit, someone hits you with the spirit. We were talking about books this way, right? Like Pynchon, Gravity's Rainbow. It's one of those books you're supposed to read. You read it and you go, oh, this is bullshit. And it's so easy to look at a book like Infinite Jest and go, oh, pretentious. Oh, big. Yeah, whatever. You read it and you go, oh, fuck. High art. War and Peace is the same way. Dude, if you ever want to test your barometer for like the spirit... (laughs) Just start reading Russian literature because there's so much good stuff like Pushkin and even like I, what, I, what I think are lesser known books like, um, um, of course, I can't fucking think of the title. Uh, what's Lermontov's book? Uh, fuck. Yeah, I'm going to fucking hate myself for not being able to remember it. But 
You just Gogol. Gogol is fucking phenomenal, dude. Like you're just sort of pushing along and you're reading all these Russian authors, and then you stumble on Gogol, and you're like, oh fuck, oh I just got hit by the fucking spirit. It's fucking palpable. It jumps off the page in a different way. And then you read some other people, and you're like, oh it's oh yeah, it's all very well and good. And then you hit fucking Tolstoy, and you're like, oh my god, you get hit with the fucking spirit, dude. It feels completely fucking different. And look, I like movies. I uh, Maybe I don't watch as many as I used to because of my time. But, dude, I watch a lot of movies. I watch good movies. I watch bad movies. I like television shows. I watch good television shows. I watch bad television shows. But every once in a while, you get hit with the fucking spirit. And it happens with video games. The Witness. Hit with the fucking spirit. Or you watch Force Majeure or The Square. And you're like, oh. Hit with the fucking spirit. Oh, man. So anyway, I'm not pretending that we're accomplishing anything like that uh, on this podcast. But uh, it's something we aspire to. And, um, yeah, what's going on? I got to be honest with you. I'm gassed. My stomach's growling. I got to go to work here in a little bit. And, uh, and, uh, dude, do we qualify? Dude, yeah, we did it. I think we did enough. I think we did enough today. It wasn't always easy, but we pushed through. We put up episode 11. Um, and yeah, dude, we're going to be, we're going to be back and better than ever for episode 12. You better believe that the varsity team will fucking be back for episode 12. Uh, thanks for listening. If you want to connect with me, you can find my socials at this is M X O X O. You can subscribe to the podcast in Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google play, Stitcher, and, uh, share it with a friend, share your favorite episode, share this episode. Think of one person in your life who you really think would like it and just share it with them. And, uh, Yeah, we'll be back soon. Until then, thanks for listening. Ciao for now.